Genesis 24. I want to minister on one of what I consider one of the strangest scriptures in all the Bible. Not because it's hard to understand. It's actually quite easy to understand. The question is why? That's what I'll put out before you before we get into the scripture. In 1925, a young woman... If you can picture this now, it's the it's between the wars. It's the height of the depression. Germany is probably the greatest affected country in uh, in the world when it came to the depression because of the payback of the failed treaty of uh, and uh, the reformations they had to play, to pay and such. So. This wasn't an uncommon thing to happen, but in 1925, a young woman who, at the time there, when they rescued her, she jumped off a bridge, and she was attempting to commit suicide. And so the authorities saw her, and and they were able to get her out, but she she had no identification on her and simply became known as Miss unknown or Fräulein unknown in German. Nurses and other patients tried to put it together, but she had a striking resemblance to Anastasia Romanoff. Anastasia Romanoff was the youngest daughter of the Tsar, Nicholas Romanoff of Russia, who had just recently been overthrown in 1918 and ceremonious, unceremoniously executed with his family. The youngest two children, their whereabouts were unknown. And this woman had a striking resemblance, and so she simply became known as Anna, And she, for years, began to claim that she was Anna Romanoff, Anastasia Romanoff. She eventually married an American and moved to the United States and became known as Anna Anderson. The czar and his whole family... Nannies, cooks, people that were executed at the time, their bodies were all found, but Alex A. and Anastasia in 1991's bodies, like I said, were not found. Anna lived a very strange life. She made a claim that she was royal, yet distant relatives said that she wasn't. This was over millions, millions of dollars held in foreign banks, especially in Britain. And so they began to look and see if this was the woman. She died and and never seeming to get an answer whether she was this woman. 1991, the communist system fell in the Soviet, well, mostly fell in the Soviet Union. I guess it's being reestablished, but that's another sermon. Some uh, people had come forth who had been silent for some 80 years. 
to admit that they had actually had a second grave. They found the cooks and the nannies and the bodies of the oldest three daughters with the father and mother, but the youngest two were missing. Someone took them to another grave. They dug up the bones. And through DNA testing, which was relatively new in the 90s, they were able to substantiate that these were the bones of Anastasia Romanoff. Anna Anderson was a liar. And in fact, if you look through history, six people have made claims that they were Anastasia Romanoff. Two have made claims that they were Alexei Romanoff. What's very interesting about this is that she bore family resemblance. She did speak Russian. She had some of the traits that people went, hmm, maybe, maybe. But it wasn't until a DNA test was done that confirmed she's not. DNA tests, like you can do, you know, there's a number, one, a number of them, 23andMe is probably the big one right now. Where you can do it, my wife and I have talked about doing it. When we started talking about it, it was like a hundred bucks to do it. And the accuracy was only about 83%. They've actually improved this. They can tell you, you know, basically where you're from, what uh, uh, percentages. It's freaking people out. There's people who are finding out that dad's not really dad. And there's a whole bunch of other things that are going on. These poor minimum wage, you know, uh, order clerks, you know, the telephone people who take the orders for 23andMe are becoming counselors as people are calling up and going, I just found out I'm not really my sibling's sibling, or I'm a half-brother or sister, whatever. DNA says who you are. In the text we're going to read, it it deals with an issue that is mentioned over and over, especially in the book of Genesis. Your seeds, your descendants, your DNA is going to be recorded down through, and this is spoken to a man named Abraham, and on through his descendants Isaac and Jacob. For instance, Genesis 28, uh, 22, 18, for through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. Genesis 13, thir- uh, 14 and 15, and Lot had gone, and the Lord said to Abraham, look as far as you can see in every direction, north, south, east, and west. I'm giving you the land as far as you can see to all your descendants as a permanent possession. Now our text, and let me set the background for this. Abraham needs a bride for his wife. They don't want them to mix with the Philistine ladies and, and that are there and such. And so he says, I want, he takes his servant Eleazar, and he's sending him back to uh, the place where he'd come from and said, I want you to find a wife for my son Isaac there. And this is done in the most bizarre way. And so I want to just talk to you about your posterity or what is your DNA? Genesis 24, beginning in verse 1. And now Abraham was very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. And one day Abraham said to his oldest 
servant in charge of his household, take an oath by putting your hand under my thigh. I'm telling you, it's strange. Swear by the Lord, your God of heaven, that you will not allow my son to marry one of these local Canaanite women. Instead, uh, go instead to my household and my relatives and find a wife for my son, Isaac. And the servant asked, but what if I can't find a young woman who is willing to travel so far from home? Then sh- uh, should I then take Isaac to live there among your relatives from where you came from? No, Abraham responded. Be careful never to take my son there. For the Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and uh, my native land, solemnly promised to uh, this land to my descendants. He will send his angel ahead of you, and he will see that you find a wife for my son there. And if she is unwilling to come back uh, with you, then you are free from the oath of mine. Under no circumstances shall you take my son there. So the servant took an oath by putting his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and fo- and swore to follow Abraham's instructions. Again, a very strange story. I am glad this ritual or uh, form of covenant making is gone. It's kind of an odd way doing things. You might see sports men from time to time slap each other on the butt. That's probably as personal as I ever want to see two men get anyway. It is a very vivid picture and it has to do with a very specific understanding. Let's think first about DNA. There is the argument that it will always be put forth how much is nature, how much is nurture. How much is pre-programmed? How much is learned behavior? There are people who have never met their biological parents, and yet they have traits of their biological parents. One of them that you might know is Shane Beswick. Shane's father, biological father died one, uh, one, one and a half months before Shane was born. And he was recently here for our building dedication. And when Shane was here, he made some gestures and he did some things. And, um, and my wife and I looked at him and went, uh, we thought to each other, we said to each other, that was just like Dave. I mean, the, he, the, he's acting just like his father. I knew his father very well. Uh, you know, Nancy Beswick, uh, at the time her name was Rosovic, she, we had a little deal worked out. She used to cut my hair and I used to change her oil. It was a great deal for both of us. And then one day, Dave Montero came up to me and said, you know, you don't have to change your oil anymore. I said, why? She said, I'm changing her oil. I'm like, oh, good for you, man. And so uh, that worked out well. And so till Dave got cancer. But he has these traits of his father and it's like he never met his father. It wasn't, it's not possible. And it's very interesting that, you know, family resemblances. The older you get, the more you start realizing that, especially men, you'll understand this, that you start shaving your father because he's in the mirror and you're like, who are you? (laughs) 
My son is very interesting as far as his appearances. He has some of my mother's O'Neill family in him, and he has some of my wife's Beckman family in him, and it's kind of an interesting mix. There's things he'll do, the traits and things he'll say, and and it's like, oh, that was the Beckman. And so I blame, like, all the good side is the O'Neill, and all the bad in him is the Beckmans. But anyway... God chose to work through a people. One man said the story of the Old Testament is a story of a family. God took one family out of the earth through this man Abraham, and he's going to create the family that is going to usher in redemption for the whole world. And we know that out of this family came Jesus Christ. It was through this family that the law was brought, the Ten Commandments. Genesis 28, 14 and 15, Your descendants shall be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They shall spread out in all directions, east, west, to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through your descendants. What more? I, uh, what's more, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back into this land and not leave uh, you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised. God chose this family and he worked through covenant. A covenant is more than a contract, but that's a way to understand. It's an agreement between two parties, probably the most uh, sacred contract or covenant that we have that we can understand this uh, is the covenant of marriage. Marriage is not just an agreement. It's not just a business agreement. Okay, you pay, you're the, you pay the electric bill. I'll pay the mortgage. You pay the... You pay. It's not just that. It's not just friends with benefits. It's a covenant. It's a relationship that is sacred before God. Psalm 69 verse... 36, the descendants who obey me will inherit the land and those who love me will live in safety. This is why God was very specific about a people. God had chosen a people. He was going to move through this family and bring this covenant and God's purpose to pass on the earth. Then out of this, we have this text. And, you know, it's just as the the servant puts his hand between the thigh. I mean, it's, I'm not trying to be strange, but it is just one that you go, huh? Why, what, I'm, like I said, I'm glad this passed away. One commentator said of this, the rite or the ceremony used in the occasion The person binding himself would put his hand under the thigh of another person to whom he was bound. He put his hand on the part that bore the mark of circumcision, the sign of God's covenant, which was tantamount to our kissing the book, laying hands upon the New Testament or the covenants of the Lord Jesus Christ. The thought was that In this was a grasping of, this is the future. This is what this is all about. This has to do with posterity, not prosperity, posterity. 
the ongoing family. The sign of circumcision, of course, was the covenant and the understanding of the significance of what was really going on. This wasn't a, oh yeah, I'll fix them up. Let me just pull out my phone and look up christianmatch.com and see if there's any good girls around. Or hebrewmatch.com or whatever they would have had back then. Do you know there's a farmer? Never mind. Anyway, I read too much sometimes on these illustrations and go, I wish I didn't know that. God's looking for a spiritual posterity in the earth. This was serious. This was the future of the covenant. God has designed that in the New Testament. This is still the same. And as foreign, if you will, of of that, I'm glad we shake hands and sign papers now. But as foreign as that would be to you and I, the significance can't be lost. This was unusual. This was not your typical covenant. This was not your typical agreement. Nowhere else in all of the scripture is this used. But when it came to this important understanding, it had to be. You and I should bear the marks of the spiritual DNA of Christianity. 1 Peter 2 9 and 10, but you are not like that. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own, very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as the people, but now you are the people of God. You have received no mercy, but now you have received God's Mercy. Peter says uh, that this is the spiritual DNA. When you are born again, you become the people of God. And just like Mark, some people, it's interesting that, you know, my, I mentioned it before and probably again, my daughter had the uncannity ability in, in Lithuania to pick out Americans. And Americans aren't DNA-oriented. It's like you can look at certain cultures and know right away that's where they're from. Right? That's the continent. That's the, that's the, the culture. You can see, uh, you know, uh, uh, and, and I'm, uh, I have to be careful here, but, you know, uh, there, there are physical traits. And, and when you live overseas for a while, you begin to pick up on different things that you could tell a Dutchman from a Frenchman, not just by the way they dress, but by the way they looked because of their, their DNA. You could tell, you know, uh, I could tell Polish from from uh, Lithuanians, they had a different look. And if you're Polish in here, I'm not picking on you, but one of the things that Polish have, they have a big nose. In fact, in international sign language, that means Polish. And I'm not making, and I'm not picking on you. That's just the way it is. It's like they'll tell you, yeah, we got big noses. It's just the way it is. It's part of being Polish. I guess it's from all the kabuska we ate, which is cabbage. Spiritual DNA that identifies who you are in the earth. John chapter 8, 
37 through 39, yes, Jesus said, I realized that you are the descendants of Abraham. Yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your heart for my message. I'm telling you what, uh, what I saw when I was with the Father, but you are following the advice of your father's father. Our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus said, if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. So Jesus is dealing with them. They're, they're holding on to this heritage of DNA. They're saying, no, we have this heritage. We're born. If you did a you know, 23andMe test, you'd find out I'm a Jew. I'm a Hebrew. The prerequisite for you being a Hebrew is that your mother was a Hebrew. Not your father, even though that would be where some of the bloodline came from. It was, no, it was too hard to prove who the father was back then. They didn't have the 21 and me tests or anything like that, even blood tests back then. But they could prove that, that you, we saw you born. You saw your mother. She was out here, right? We've seen a few girls. They're still out here. Others, they were out here. Now they're not. And they get a little baby and you know it's theirs, right? It's, uh, it's there, He said, no, the issue is not whether you could pass the physical DNA test. Could you pass a spiritual DNA test? And Jesus said, your problem is you can't. You say, oh, we're the children of Abraham. No, you're not. You're not acting like Abraham would. Romans chapter 11, I'm not going to read it all, but it talks about the grafting. Now, I don't know if you were ever in school and you did grafting tests where you'd take a tree and you'd cut it in half, two different trees, like an apple tree or a pear tree or whatever, and you would graft them together. And you would begin to genetically modify their fruit. Because that's what GMO does, right? It takes uh, parts of this and parts of that, grafts it together. Very basic GMO kind of stuff. God, in your own little way. Is that the battery? says, you were grafted into the family. You were brought in. You were the wild olive tree that was brought into the tamed olive tree. And yes, God did cut off some branches so you could be there. But you better be careful because God could cut you off. Spiritual DNA is what we're after. The mark of Christ. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is teach them all things that I've taught you. But it goes beyond just the teachings. We looked in our Sunday school how part of the fruit of the Spirit has to do with your attitude. Not just what you do. Well, I did everything right today. Yeah, but your attitude stinks. And so if you're not doing everything right with the DNA, you know, in animal kingdom, they'll pay a lot for a stud. They'll pay $50,000 to try to, to get a horse who has won one of the triple crowns sometimes. Not all the horses that win them, but they'll pay up to $50,000 to breed them with another mare to try to produce a winner. To try to throw $50,000. 
to try to get that winning DNA to flow down. Because if you can win the triple crown, you know, the horse has no idea. But the owner and the jockey and all of them, they'll, they'll do it. They'll get money. They'll get fame. They'll get fortune. They're excited about it. So they'll spend large money to throw some DNA. You know, there's the AKA, the American Kennel Association, that will tell you whether you have a purebred dog. And some breeds can run into the thousands of dollars if you want a purebred dog. My wife and I, we had Golden Retriever for a while. And a female, we bred her twice. And this was back in the 90s. And we, uh, we got 10 puppies the first time. We got, uh, and so we had to register them to go through and make sure they were registered. And, and sure enough, in all 10 of them, and we sold them off. And it was good money. And we did it again, but it was a lot of work. And, and uh, sold these puppies off and, and made some money. And so... But it was based on the reality of throwing a seed, DNA. And you could trace back our dog's DNA, mom's side, father's side, golden retriever forever. And she definitely was. She was hyper and dumb. It was a great combination. Lovely dog. Jesus said, or it said in John 1, 12, those who believed and accepted him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. When we're changed, when we take on, in Ephesians, it talks about us going from the children of wrath, those that are worthy of wrath, to those who are saved, the children of the light. A DNA, spiritual DNA change should happen. In, John, in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, Paul writes and he says, the problem with some Jews were they were Jews only on the outward. They would get circumcised, but their heart was not. It says, a true Jew is one who had the heart circumcised. It's the spirit of the law, not the letter that produced the change of the heart in a person. What makes us different is our spiritual DNA has been changed. We've been grafted in, we've been changed. So that means some things. That means we have tremendous blessing. You lock that in. I am a child of God. 1 John 3, 1. Oh, beloved, what love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. You have children. You know you love them. It's, you, you, it's, just, it's just there. Will they be naughty? Oh, yes. Will they drive you crazy? Oh, yes. 
but the reality of that understanding that you are a child of God. This is a position. It is said of Abraham Lincoln because his oldest son had died. Many historians believe that his oldest son had died very tragically. That even during the war, he allowed his children unabated access to him. He could be in meetings with heads of state or generals trying to work out the war. But if his children came in and needed something, he would stop the meeting and speak with his children. Now, I don't know if that was healthy. I mean, he did have a war to fight and a country to run. But I do understand that you and I have access. We have unfettered access to the Father. Someone asked recently, just throwing out, why do we call each other brother and sister? Why is that? Why are we brothers? Because we have the same Father. We have the same Father in heaven. That gives us, right, it doesn't matter how long you've been saved. I've been saved 50 years. Well, good. I'm glad. Stay saved. Make, make heaven your home. Don't go that far and miss out now. But if you just got saved, like this morning, you, your eyes, you have the same standing as someone saved 50 years. It's not, there's, no, there's no difference in that access. Oh, yeah, you might have more experience. That might help you, absolutely, as a Christian. But the reality is your standing doesn't change. God has set and planned this, that God wants you and I to have that access. The second thing it means, which is amazing, is our relationship with one another and Jesus Christ. This means that Jesus Christ becomes our older brother. Romans 16, I'm sorry, Romans 8, 16 and 17. For the Spirit joins with our spirit and affirms that we are God's children. And since we are God's children, we are heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of, the glory, of God's glory. But if we share his glory, we must also learn to share his sufferings. We have this, it bears witness in our spirit. If you're here and you're going, well, I'm not sure if I'm a child of God, then you need to make sure before you leave here this evening. We're going to give you an opportunity that God could change you. Some people, they want to just add religion to their life. That's not going to do it. That's not going to change you. It's letting Jesus come inside you. This will affect the way you conduct yourself. Oh, Christianity is full of rules. No, it's really not. It's full of privileges. And then when you know Jesus Christ, it's not a privilege to not wonder what I did last Friday night. To wake up where I don't know. Or wondering how I got where I got. It makes you understand your future. We've all seen recently 
played out in the tabloids and on the front pages of all the websites of news and whatnot, that Harry, with his wife, Meghan Markle, they have left the royal family. They have been disowned. Now, it got really awkward in the funeral and the uh, for the queen and such, you could tell there's, you could just tell in the pictures the tension in the family and the, and the difficulties that were all going on there. That all of that was still, you know, uh, still very fresh and very uh, alive and such. That he's made decisions that have now isolated him from his family. And you can argue whether that's good or whether he shouldn't be told who he could marry and all that. Whatever. Right? They refer that the, the royal family is a business. They refer to themselves as the, the firm. It's the way it is. He's made decisions that have taken him out of his family. where his brother William has made decisions, put him, in fact, people thought, I thought as well, that Elizabeth was going to pass over Charles and go straight to William. She did not. And I like William. Charles, I worry about. He's just, he's a, anyway, never mind. I lived in Europe long enough to know about the royal family because all we had in Lithuania was the BBC World Service in English and so I learned more about British scandals and British politics than I think anyone outside of Britain, even many in Britain, want to ever know about. But anyway, I digress. You can make decisions that put you outside the family. You can make decisions that cut you off from the family that cause your inheritance to be lost. To cause you to miss out on all that God has for you. The third thing it should affect is how you treat your brothers and your sisters. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, you know what, when you are in the household of God, and he's writing this to a pastor, he says, you should treat the older women with respect as you would a mother. You should treat the younger women as sisters with all purity. Treat others with that, not defrauding one another, not messing around, you know, We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We should treat each other that way. Now, that being said, do brothers and sisters fight? How many of you had siblings? How many fought? Argued? Scratched? Pinched? Bit? Hit? Of course you did. Siblings sometimes fight. But... In most families, oh, you can fight your brother, you can fight your sister, 
But God helps someone who picks on one of them. Because now, we'll all go together. My, I had a band when I was a kid and we weren't saved. We'd play in the basement of my house. And my drummer's van was one time broken into and uh, uh, things were stolen out of it. And my brother, and it, it, my brother was a football player. So he had a lot of big friends, football-type friends. I was a musician. I didn't, my friends weren't all that big. But anyway, we found out who had broken into the drummer's van. He said, you know, my brother and I fought. We'd argue, wrestle, we'd whatever. But he's like, that's it. They messed with our house. They messed on our property. We, fought, we put a bunch of people into the van, a bunch of football players, my band. We all went over there. We went and knocked on the kid's door. The father answered. He was nervous. He was, my, but my brother was like, yeah, let's go do this. And, uh, you know, the father said, I'm going to call the police. And we're like, please do, because someone stole from the van, and we'd like the police to come and talk to your son about this. So he didn't call the police. We eventually left. Eventually, the drummer got a check in the mail from someone else. We didn't actually go to the right person's house, but he was involved in it. We knew that. He was involved in it, but he got a check from someone else. Got worked out because, you know what? My brother said, nope. And the Barnstable football team said, nope. We don't, we may, I didn't even go to Barnstable High School, but nope, that's it. We're going to, brothers. You know, you should fight for each other. We do have a common enemy. I don't know if you know his name. It's called Lucifer, Satan, the devil. Love to attack your brothers and sisters. You fight for them in prayer. They hold the same spiritual DNA as you. Go back to our text for just a moment. Like I said, one of the strangest texts in all the Bible. Intimate. Personal. Not a casual move. If you do this casually, you'll be arrested. The servant takes the oath. He ends up finding Rebecca. She comes back. It's a great love story. The seriousness of this was taken by both men. They understood that this was more. Do you know your presence in this congregation is more than just about you and your destiny. Because families all end up linked. They all end up linked together. And what one person does can mark an entire family. They say in 1938 there were about 45 Hitler's In the New York phone book, by 1943, there were none. They didn't just leave, they changed their names to get away from that psycho 
over in Germany. What you do affects others. It's not just a solo shot here. It's a family. This text shows us in the bizarreness of this, and I hope I've handled it well enough to not embarrass anybody, but the seriousness of it. Not a casual thing. You might shake someone's hand casually, greet someone. That's casual. That's fine. This was serious. This was deep. This was personal. This was intimate. This went beyond just the surface. Don't think we should bring it back, but I think we should understand it. That there's a deep, important connection we have as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. A responsibility to one another that God wants to have in our hearts through our DNA. And that will show, and today you can test for it, where you come from, what you do, what you, you know, where you're at, but the reality of God helping us and that we treat each other in that way is very important. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. You're here this evening, you're not right with God. Maybe your spiritual DNA is not Christian. The good news is, is it's a miracle for every one of us to have that. It's a miracle to have that in our lives and in our hearts. And God Himself wants to bring that to your life. You can experience a miracle and be changed. Not just adding something on the outside, but having something deeply change on your heart, literally your spiritual DNA. That's why Jesus said the experience is like being born again. Literally, you get a new birth. You get a new DNA working in your life. You'll look the same. Your parents, your physical parents will still be the same, but your actions will begin to change. Your tastes will begin to change. If you'll respond and allow God to help you, He can do a miracle in your life. And you're here this evening. You're not right with God. You're not born again. You're not a Christian. You want to experience that. I wonder if you'd slip up your hand and say, would you pray for me? I'm not right with God. Maybe you're backslidden. You once knew, but like Harry, you walked away from the family. And there's a whole myriad of reasons why he did, but you could give me the whole myriad of reasons why you did. The opportunity for you to come back is right now, right here, tonight. You're not right with God. You're backslidden. Slip up your hand. Pray for me. Not right with Jesus. I'm not saved. I'm not born again. Changing the call then to Christians. We then have a responsibility because that, that's why we're brothers and sisters. 
We're brothers and sisters because Jesus Christ has literally changed our spiritual DNA. If you're Italian or Polish or Irish or Ugandan or Indonesian or whatever, it's still going to be the same if you take the test. But the reality of what God can do in your heart and change in the responsibility we have for each other changes us. Let's all stand. We're going to open up these altars. Allow people to find a place to pray. We're going to sing a song. You've delivered me from darkness. Jesus, we love him tonight. Father, we love you.